Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. We are in this series called Becoming the One and seeing the treasure in front of you is today's message. Seeing the treasure that is in front of you. And I've brought this up in the previous weeks, but I want to repeat it today. The question, are they the one puts you at the center of your selfish pursuits. And it makes you want to look outside of the person you're with and the relationship that you may already have. It may also trigger you into believing that by settling, you are somehow missing out on someone who is actually better than the person who's already with you, in front of you, loving you, wanting to be in a relationship with you. And we don't always see this, understand this, but the Bible does something. It exposes this in our own hearts. And we said how the better question to ask ourselves to know if we are being selfish or if God is really speaking to us about moving on and maybe there is someone who is better and maybe there is something else other than the person that we're with. The question to ask is, am I becoming the one? Because when we ask the question, am I becoming the one, then that puts us at the center of God's pursuits for us. And what God does is that he begins to work in our lives and to show us where it is that we need to put work in, where it is that we need to focus, where it is that we may be selfish and be blinded by our own selfish pursuits and, and, and now we're just projecting that on another person. And, and we're not going to be able to know the difference or be able to understand this unless we ask the right question. And the right question is, am I becoming the one? Now, we're all coming out of this pandemic. And, and during the pandemic, a lot of studies were, were being conducted about how people were feeling. And, and coming out of it, we understood two things that even the people who were, all of us, in it made decisions differently. Now, I think we've all met somebody who during the pandemic may have given up on their job, may have given up on the city that they were living in and chose to live someplace else and to do something else. And, And sometimes they even chose to be with someone else. They just realized that this was an opportunity for them to ditch whoever it was that they were with, and just go and be and just do something else and be hopefully with someone else as well. But what studies actually showed was that during the pandemic and even afterwards that people felt an incredible amount of insecurity and anxiety about their future. 
And, and what happened instead is that a lot of people made the decision to be incredibly more cautious, to actually, they made the decision to not get divorced, to not get married, and also to not have children. That because of the insecurity of what the pandemic caused and created, that these were the decisions that they made in terms of delaying what their life would look like. And we're talking about double-digit decreases in divorces, double-digit decreases even in people getting married, double-digit decreases in people deciding to have children. And what we've noticed is that because now we're in this economic recession as a result of the pandemic, that people are furthering their delays. And what happens when we do this is that we always imagine that there's going to be a better time to live our life than right now. That external circumstances feed our decision-making to such a degree that we miss out on the opportunity to create the future that God is calling us to. That everything in our life is so centric that we lose sight of the opportunities that are in front of us when everyone is waiting, God's people should be moving. Amen. They should be active. They should be listening and reacting to what he is teaching us and telling us and what he is moving us towards. See, we're not to be like everyone else. When everyone else is anxious, we are faith-filled. When everyone else is worried, we are filled with hope. When everyone else is scared, we are bold. And we are ready to do what God is calling us to do. And it's not any different even in the relationships in which we're in. Now we're looking at the book of Hosea, this unlikely love story in the scriptures. And in Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, we're going to focus on this verse because God forces Hosea to see something and for Gomer to understand something that we can't afford to miss either. And it's in verse 2, and he says, so I brought her back because he was able to buy her back. Well, God says, bring her back. It had to cost Hosea something. And he says that he had to buy her back because she had now been sold into slavery. Somehow, things had gotten worse for Gomer. When she was able to go and come back, she no longer can come back on her own. Things have gotten so bad for Gomer that this time when she left, she no longer has the freedom to return. And Hosea just can't ask her to come back and tell her and plead with her to come back. It's now going to have to cost Hosea something. And so... It says that he had to buy her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. 
And he does all this. And, and, and the thing about this passage is that he does all this because he has to give up everything that he has. When you run out of silver and you're going into barley and wine, it, it's not that you just you know, bartered a great deal. It, it's just that you're, you're showing that you're giving up everything. And, and Hosea wasn't a wealthy person by any means, but he was someone who God told him what to do. And, and so he goes and he does it. And, and Gomer finds nothing but trouble and, and becomes so involved in her sin that she's forced now to wait for someone to rescue her. And, and this person is now Hosea. And she would have imagined and envisioned that this was it. He would never do this. He would never go to this extent. Why would he go through all this trouble seeing that I've left him so many times? I've cheated on him over and over again. Why would he go through all this trouble? And, and I love the fact that what God does in this story is that he shows how much he loves all of us. And he shows all of us what we're worth. And he shows all of us that he's willing to give everything up to redeem us to recapture us and to restore us to a place of blessing even when we wholeheartedly believe that it won't happen and that we're not worthy for it to happen. So God shows us something else. And it tells us this wonderful passage in, in the scriptures. It's 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and in verse 18 and 19, and it says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value, but it was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That beautiful. God is saying, I paid that price. And I want you to know that when you don't see yourself as a treasure, when no one sees you as a treasure, I want you to never forget you are a treasure in my eyes. And the only way that I can redeem you, my treasure is to give up my greatest treasure, and that is my son, your savior, Jesus. And you're not going to be bought with wine, you're going to be bought with blood. And he's going to shed that for you. He's going to give his life so that you can have life to the fullest, so that nothing will ever hold you back from everything that I see that you are worthy of. You see, when someone gives their life for you and sacrifices everything for you, you look at that person and you say, I got to make something of my life. I got to do something with this life. I can't let the minutes, the days and the weeks of my life be wasted. 
I can't spend them in darkness. I can't spend them selfishly. I can't spend them pursuing the things that bring me heartache and bring heartache to those around me. I'm going to live my life in a manner that is worthy of the life that was given up so that I could live. If someone offered you right now the greatest sum of money that you could possibly envision, that you would say, this is the amount that I would need to live comfortably. Maybe it's 100000 Maybe it's a million. Maybe it's $10 million. Maybe you'd look at that amount and you'd say, with this money, now I can live my life. I don't have to worry about things. I can be everything that I can be. But then they also said, after I give you this money, tomorrow, when you wake up, it's going to be your last day. Do you still want the money? If the answer is no, then what you did is that you decided that waking up tomorrow is more than $10 million. It's more than a million. It's more than 100,000. So let me ask you something. Why is it when we wake up in the morning, we are ready to waste that day? But we're ready to turn any amount of money because we know it might be our last day on earth. And I'll tell you why. Because we live with such centric, selfish pride that we believe that we have unlimited time in front of us. That today is not our last day. Tomorrow is not our last day. That we can just make choices and decisions about ourselves and how we live it. And even, here's the worst part, about other people that God has blessed us with and brought into our life and given us an opportunity to love. But we have said that they are not worthy of the treasure that God already says he has sacrificed his entire treasure for. That verse is so powerful because it says that Hosea was forced to see Gomer's value, but he was forced to see it through God's eyes. See, Hosea couldn't understand Gomer's value. He didn't have any value for her, not the way God wanted, not the way that he saw it, not the way that he envisioned it. But now he has to pay a price for it. See, and now all of a sudden, Gomer has value because, I mean, it's tangible, right? It's 15 pieces of silver. It's barley, it's wine, it's, it's things that he had to give up. It's treasure that he had to exchange her life for. And, and Gomer needs to see her value. And she needs to see her value through God's eyes. She needs to understand how God sees her because she doesn't always believe and probably can't see her value in Homer's eyes, in Hosea's eyes, sorry. Can't see it in Hosea's eyes. And so all the time that we spend 
trying to understand someone else's value through our eyes is where we make the mistake. You see, we don't see value through our eyes. We need to see value through God's. That changes everything. It changes you from trying to find the one and believe you are with the one into becoming the one. It just shifts everything. Because I'll tell you, the struggle we all have is not seeing what's right in front of us. And God is saying, I want you to see what's right in front of you. So stop calling it trash. Stop saying it isn't treasure. Stop saying it isn't good enough. When in actuality, if I was to measure both of you, I would say they're better than you. The Bible says that we can't weigh people, but he weighs us. And he weighs the intentions of our heart and the motivations by which we do things and live things. And when we are calling people out and saying that they aren't good enough for us, maybe the truth is we're not good enough for them. And, and, and when we understand this, we're going to understand how to listen for what people are saying about us. And the problem with this is that we don't understand that when we are criticizing our husband or our wife or the partner we're with, the person that we're with, we are criticizing ourselves. When we diminish them, we diminish us. When we turn them away, we turn ourselves away. When we call them trash, we are missing out on treasure. Every time we push a person that God has given us away from being in the couple that he has called us to, we are less and less, not only who we're supposed to be, but what we're supposed to be together. And when we understand this, it changes everything. From seeing the one to becoming the one. Ask yourself a question, and I want you to be honest. And if you're single, and, and maybe you're married, but this is still true. Maybe you're in a long-term relationship. Ask yourself this. Do people call you picky? And I'll say this. People call you picky because you are. Because you are. They see it, and maybe you don't. You're going to say, I have high standards. No, you're picky. You don't have high standards for yourself. You have high standards for others, but not for yourself. People saying that you should just settle. Maybe they've seen you come in and out of relationships and they're saying like, what's wrong with this one? Why can't you just settle? Has someone said that to you? Why can't you just be happy with the person you're with? The reason they say this is because they notice that you can't. There is something that is within you that speaks to you about being afraid of missing out on something better. And you need to pay attention to that. Because that may not be God prompting you to wait. 
It might just be you selfishly thinking you should wait. And you got to know what the difference is between those two. You say, when you do break up, that God is the reason why you moved on. And you say that, and I know why you say that, because who can argue with that? When, you, when someone says, God told me, okay, conversation over. What can anybody say to God told me? I wonder in my head and in my heart if God told you. For real, did he? And if he did, how did he keep confirming what he told you? Because the one thing I know about God in how he speaks to us, we never listen the first time. So that means he would have repeatedly have to have spoken to you and generally he would have had to spoken to you over a period of time because you need a lot of convincing. And not just you, I do it, I need it. And, and that's why the story of Gideon in the Bible is so important because it shows how time and time again, God has to keep telling Gideon, even though Gideon keeps telling God that he doesn't want to listen, but that God keeps showing him that he should. And then eventually Gideon does it. Now, the reason that happens is because it's important for us to see that if God is really telling you something, there's going to be a pattern for it. It's going to be consistent. It's going to be repeated. Why? Because we don't listen when we're awake, let alone when we're asleep. And so he's going to speak to us through signs when we're awake, and he's going to speak to us through dreams when we're asleep. He's going to speak to us through strangers, and then he's going to speak through us through friends. He's going to come into our life through pastors and spiritual leaders, and he's going to come into our life with family. He's going to come in through counsel. We're going to listen to something, read something. All of a sudden, it's going to speak to our situation. I already had this in 2019. I ain't going back to that year. This is 2023. This is the year of my jubilee. This is the year that God gives me the person that I've been looking for. Everybody else has been trash. I'm believing in the treasure. You know, maybe they have been trash. Maybe they have. Maybe because you keep going to the dump. I don't know. There is a human dump that you keep going to and you keep thinking you're going to find treasure. And it's just not that way. It's not going to work like that. What about if... You are always complaining of being alone. But the truth is, there isn't any room in your life for anybody else. You can just keep talking about your loneliness. But you are so full of your spells, so full of yourself that there isn't even space for God in you. that God has to get a trailer to live next door. That's how full of yourself you are. That you put Jesus in a trailer. Because there is no room in your house. We complain about being lonely, but we have no relationship with the Heavenly Father. 
We don't know what it looks like to be in an everyday walk with Jesus because he's in a trailer living on the outside instead of on the inside where he is supposed to be. I, I want to do something with you guys, and I want you to be honest with you as I go through this list, okay? The problem is that you are in a relationship with your expectations. The reason we can't see treasure when we see it in front of us, when it's right there, is that we've got expectations. I tell people all the time, it's part of my marriage thing, when I, when I prepare couples, I always say to them, are you marrying this person or are you marrying your expectations? There's two separate things. Are you going to walk down the aisle with this person after you've exchanged your vows? Or are you walking out of the church and out of the vineyard? A lot of people are getting married in vineyards these days. Are you going to walk out of whatever location you've chosen as the place? And instead of walking out with a person, you're walking out with your expectations. Because if you walk out with your expectations, here's what's going to happen. If you walk down that aisle looking at that man, thinking that's your husband, and you are marrying your expectations, here's what's going to happen. You will not be together. You won't, because you will have married your expectations and not a person. Is this making sense? Now, I know that all of us have a list. All of us imagine what it's going to be like to be in a relationship with the perfect person for us. The person that we are not going to call trash, the person that we are going to say is treasure, that person. So here's something for the guys. Guys, if you hear yourself in this list, I want you to repent right now. I want you to ask Jesus for forgiveness because that's not going to be good. Okay? I want to shatter your expectations right now. Here's, here's the first one, okay? The first one is that you just want them to be gorgeous on the outside and you're going to ignore the inside. You're going to say, I want them to be gorgeous. I want them to love exercising. <laughs> I want them to love being outdoors. I want them to get my sense of humor. I want them to have their own career, but not be obsessed with it. Have their own money, but, you know, contribute financially. I want them to be tidy, but in a relaxed kind of way. I want them to have multiple children, but still give me the attention and the sex whenever I need it. I want them to challenge me, but, but only in a respectful way. I want a woman who's vulnerable, but a woman who doesn't show any signs of insecurity and, and neediness. I want a woman that's not anxious, who doesn't worry. I want her to always be filled with hope and faith. And 
keeps her problems to herself. I wanted her to figure things out before coming to me. And I want someone who always cares about their appearance even when they're at home. You notice the guys are not laughing. They're like, yeah. Yeah, that's my list. It's exactly what it is. This guy's good. He's good. And then we're surprised when we can't find this woman. We're surprised she doesn't exist. But we don't give up on finding her. We keep looking. We keep praying. And we keep going through the list every time we meet somebody. Who's a treasure? But there's something about them that tells us they're trash. Because we're selfish. Oh, man. Don't think, women, you're off the hook. This is... <laughs> this is the list <laughs> that I came up with after fasting for 40 days. <laughs> okay, more like 40 minutes, but... <laughs> about what... <laughs> See, women, if this is the list and if this sounds like you, okay? <clears throat> you want a handsome guy that when other people see him, they automatically think he's a stud. <laughs> they're just jealous that they're with you. You want a socially active man who also loves to spend a lot of time at home. <laughs> you want a talkative man, but he's also an amazing listener. You want a manly man, but they smell like a woman and they have feminine features. You want a strong, tough man who would impress daddy. But you also want a man who can sit with mommy and talk to her for hours. You want a tender, sensitive man. But if it came to it, you would survive any apocalypse. You want a spiritual guy who knows how to party but always honors you and Jesus doing it. You want a man who intercedes for you in prayer every night. And when he prays, he always remembers the orphans and the widows. You want a traditional man who cooks but also loves raising children. You want a progressive man who doesn't expect you to stay home with the kids, but is always ready to do it because it's his favorite thing to do. 
And when you think about these things, sometimes hidden under our pickiness is entitlement. You see, when we have the wrong expectations, it leads us to living an entitled life. Does that make sense? And when we have this entitlement, we can see that we are rooted in something that isn't of God. It's actually called toxic pride. And when we are rooted in toxic pride, what it does is that it erases the possibility of us living with humility. See, God wants us to live humbly before him, to love mercy, to care about grace, and to extend it whenever it is required. But instead, this is what we've done because of our expectations, because of our entitlement. We have crafted spouse-shaped idols in our hearts. And we worship at their feet and we call it waiting on the Lord instead. Instead of wanting to have what our expectations are, what if we turned our attention and see what God calls a treasure instead? Instead of living with entitlement, how about we live with humility? Because the scriptures tell us something beautiful about both of these things. Because the only antidote that exists to pride is humility. And it's what God wants us to have in abundance. It's what he desires us to express whenever the opportunity and the situation and the circumstances call for it. The problem with being prideful is that we are so full of ourselves that we don't even realize that we need humility. We are so blinded to the fact that the problem isn't the person in front of us. The problem is that we don't know what it looks like to live and to walk humbly before the Lord. We're so full of ourselves and entitled with the wrong expectations that we're missing out on what God has for us. And it's right there all along. I, I don't want to learn through humiliation. I want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and learn humility instead. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tired of humiliation. I, I want to walk humbly before the Lord instead. And the scriptures say this in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and then he's going to lift you up. Can we say amen to that? He is going to lift you up. He is going to lift you up. But we don't have to try to lift ourselves up over other people. We don't have to look at them and call them trash so that we can feel like we're a treasure. We don't have to say they're no good so that we can feel better about all the things that are no good in us. Hey, come on, let us live humbly and recognize treasure for what it really is. And the people that God has already brought into our lives, the things that he's already doing, or the things that he wants to bring in the season of our life where we are still waiting. 
Humbling ourselves requires more than recognizing that we have a false sense of superiority, but it comes with an understanding that we are going to go about this fundamental change in the way that we see ourselves and others around us. And what God does is that he says, when you pursue humility, here's what happens. You are going to face the real you, and then you're going to be able to love a real person. You are going to see the real you, and then you are going to love a real person. Instead of the expectation, instead of what you imagine you are entitled to, instead of what you believe you're being directed by with your pride. See, God helps you to see yourself, but he also helps you to see the other person. And when, when, when Hosea had to go out and purchase Gomer, God did those two things. He said, Hosea, I need you to see who you are, but you also need to see who Gomer is. You need to see who I am, and you need to see who you are together. You are not better than each other. You are the same to me. You're both my treasure. Neither one of you is trash. And so you're going to have to pay the price. And, and I believe that Hosea had to keep walking a walk of humiliation because he had to learn humility. Until he could finally see Gomer the way that God sees her. And he would say, she's worth it. Don't you see? And what you can have together can be beautiful. It can be amazing. And that's why Philippians 2.3 says this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind Look at this. Let each esteem others better than him or herself. God says this is what humility looks like. You esteem others better than yourself. If you're the one who's always the best and they're the one who's always the worst, then you know that your behavior is trash towards something that is God's treasure. There is nothing wrong with either one of you other than the expectations and the entitlement and the toxic pride that is leading you away from seeing what true tread actually is. Is. God is saying, this is what my true treasure is. And I want you to stop calling it trash. And so, Father, uh, I pray, Lord, that if we would just surrender everything before you, empty ourselves, just like you emptied yourself of your glory, that you would walk in humility before us, taking on human form, you showed us what it looks like to leave heaven so that you could walk among us here on earth. And I pray that today would be a day in which we lay down our expectations, we lay down our entitlement, we lay down our 
definitions of trash and our understanding of what treasure is. And, and then we turn to you and we say, God, just reinform us. Just teach us again of what it is that we need to do. Help us to unlearn what has been corrupting us and, and to learn instead that which will enhance us, enlighten us. Lord, I pray that this moment would be a powerful moment for each of us that it would not only bring us closer to the one we're with, but also, Lord, to have the eyes and the heart to truly understand the opportunities that come before us to be with someone as well. Lord, I pray that we would stop taking advantage of, of people, but we would start understanding how valuable they, each of them are to you, how they're your treasure. If you could love Gomer and, and if you could do that for Hosea, then you are telling us that there's nothing that you wouldn't do for us. I pray we would learn these lessons, God, and, and put them into practice today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.